You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is not John. As I shared with you last week, if you were with us, um, we are taking a short breath, maybe an extended breath, uh, from our study of the book of John for the Christmas season, and we're going to spend the next four weeks together in just two verses, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And these are maybe the most quoted, other than Luke chapter 2, uh, maybe the most quoted verses this time of year uh, when it comes to Christmas and celebrating the birth of Christ. And so we're going to spend some time here. I don't know if you realize it or not, but Isaiah is actually the most quoted prophet in the New Testament um, for good reason, because much of Isaiah is is reminding us or foretelling to us the coming of Jesus. And so he is the most quoted. He's actually the only the second um, most quoted book in all of uh, the in all the New Testament, only second to Psalms. Um, And so this is a very important book for our understanding of who Jesus is as the Messiah, the one who God promised to send for the salvation of sinners Um, And so this particular text is really important when it comes to Christmas. But there's a specific reason why I want us to spend some time in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And much of that comes down to what I shared with you last week. And that is that I, I think that we need a good, sobering reminder that Jesus is sovereign over all things. Um, that we serve a great God, that Jesus is Lord over all. Last week, Psalm 145, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We need a reminder that every problem that we have, every uh, difficulty that we face, uh, every human leader, every um, impossible circumstance, all of those things come under the shadow of the sovereignty of a holy God and that he is in charge over all things. I, th- I think sometimes we tend to live like God is under the shadow of our problems rather than the other way around. And we just need to be reminded that Jesus is over all things. Amen, church? That Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And this text does such a great job at reminding us of who Jesus is in in terms of his rule and his reign. And I I just want to remind us that the birth of Christ is more than the birth of a baby in a manger. It is a statement of God's sovereign control over all things. 
It's not just about Jesus born in a manger, sent by God to be the Savior of the world. It is the story of Jesus born in a manger, sent by God to be the Savior of the world, who is also King of kings and Lord of lords, and in whom we put all of our trust. He's not just a baby in a manger, he's the king on a throne. And not just any king, he's the king of kings. And not just any throne, he sits on the highest throne of the universe, the throne of heaven. It is the name, the name of this king that I want us to lift up over four weeks and be reminded. I just feel compelled that you need to be reminded of who he is and particularly for three reasons before we even dive into the text. My hope is that over the next four weeks, you would trust Jesus more deeply than you do right now. That you would trust him with all of your heart. That you would that you would that your faith would be renewed, that you would believe that he is able, that you would know that he knows you and that he has your best interest at heart, that you would trust him. Secondly, that you would submit to him more fully. Some of you this morning, that may mean submitting him to him for the very first time as king. Jesus as king has full authority over all things. So we have only to submit to him as king of kings and lord of lords. He rules in the universe and he rules our lives. So my hope is that in every area of your life, there would be obedience to Christ. And third that you would, as a result, serve Him more passionately. That everything that you give would be with all of your heart because He's worthy and because you know who wins at the end of this thing. (laughs) So you'd give your whole life for the cause of the kingdom because He is the King who is worthy of all of our praise. So, in all of that, Isaiah tells us of four names given to this king, and those four names will frame our time together over the next four weeks. These four names found right at the heart of these two verses. So if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we are reminded of who this king is. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his throne to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And I I'm just burdened this morning, God, that we would feel a a very real sense of your reign, your rule and your reign over our lives and over all things. It is so easy for us as your people to lose sight of the fact that you are sovereign. We get caught up in worry and anxiety. We try to take matters into our own hands. 
God, we fall into sinful rebellion because we forget that You are King of kings and Lord of lords. So would You remind us powerfully from Your Word, by Your Spirit, that You reign over all things this morning. And may we submit our lives to You and trust in You and serve You with all of our hearts. Jesus, I pray that that rule and reign would be made known to extend this morning to every single heart that is here in such a way that if there is someone here this morning who is in rebellion against You, they've never surrendered their life to the Gospel, to Jesus, to Your ability and Your ability alone to save this morning, Jesus, that You would call them to Yourself. And that they would believe the Gospel and be saved and give you their lives. Whether that's true for someone here in this place or someone listening in online or someone listening in even later. God, we pray that this would be the day of salvation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In many ways, this book, the book of Isaiah, uh, one of the longest books in Scripture, is a difficult one to read. But it's not primarily because it's con- of its content. It's, it's not a very difficult book to understand. It's not complex. The language is not incredibly difficult. There's some imagery there that may be hard to understand or explain. But at the end of the day, for the most part, it's pretty plain. But that's exactly what makes Isaiah so difficult to read. Because in very plain language, we hear the reality of God's judgment against a rebellious people. In fact, so clearly that Isaiah's entire call to ministry, from the very onset, God made it plain to Isaiah that you're going to say some things to a people who are not going to hear you. You're going to speak some very harsh things. You're going to use some very heavy warnings to call them to repentance and renewed faith in God. And yet they're going to plug their ears and not listen to anything that you have to say. We know that from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9. God said to Isaiah to go to this people, say to them, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah's message was primarily one of judgment. And he was to do that. He was to speak these words until the cities, the the Bible goes on to tell us, the cities lie in waste without inhabitant. And houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people from, removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. So the picture of Judah and the land that, that now that, that Isaiah is speaking to, the picture was of total darkness and desolation. There was absolutely no hope in the land. I might say to you this morning that the picture of Judah in that day was much like the picture of America in our day. So we look around us, there is spiritual darkness that pervades every aspect of our nation. There is very little hope in America. Total spiritual darkness, 
The reality of God's judgment is against us and we are, by and large, a stubborn and rebellious people. And yet, Isaiah 9 turns a corner, a very hopeful corner. Isaiah reaches the end of all of his prophecy against Judah and he wants to say to them with all of his heart, this is not just a message of judgment and and even with a deep prayer in his heart that they would turn despite what God had said, that they would turn and they would they would repent and they would believe and they would trust in God once again. He offers them this great hope. And it is a reminder to us that even in the midst of the deepest spiritual darkness in our world, there is good news that hope is coming. Amen, church? Even in the midst of the deepest darkness, and and we strive and struggle to believe that, I think, sometimes. But the reality of the gospel that we have believed is that we know that whatever we're facing today is not the end of the story. That Jesus wins at the end of this story. And there is always greater hope tomorrow than there is today. Because we hope in Christ. And so in Isaiah 9, Isaiah reaches the end of this prophecy of God's judgment. And he again turns to good news. So here's how chapter 8 leaves off. In case you're wondering, verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. But. Verse chapter nine, verse verse one, there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them, light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4 and 5 talks about his defeat of his enemies. And all of this is good news. But the question is, how can that be true? How is it true that the people who once walked in darkness have now seen the light? Verse 6 is the answer. 4. The most important word in these two verses, the word for, for to us, a child is born. This is how men who walk in darkness now see light. This is the answer and the only answer for those who are in darkness. A child is born. And this is why Christmas is full of hope. Because without this child, there is no good news. But Jesus has been born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Isaiah tells us that the rule and reign of this child will have no end. 
of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And he says it will not fail. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There is a coming king. And he's not just any king. He is the king of promise. The king that was promised to David years before this. You might recall 2 Samuel chapter 7. It has been, has been called the Davidic covenant. Where God promised David this king. It's there for you on the screen. Follow along with me. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. The Bible says when your days are fulfilled, God is speaking to David. And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And Isaiah is saying this son, this eternal king has come. And notice very interestingly that Isaiah speaks of this king not in the future tense, but in the present tense. Because in the mind of Isaiah, it's as good as done. When the mind of faith thinks about the promises of God that are yet to come in the future, it thinks of them almost as already done in the present because the mind of faith is so certain that God will achieve and will accomplish what He said He's going to accomplish. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Can I remind you, Christian, that every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ as if it is already fulfilled. Jesus is going to bring His Word to pass. And Isaiah is speaking of one whom he would not yet seen. And yet we have seen Him. Who is the child? Who is the Son? Who is the one who has been born? We can just simply assume that who He's talking about is Jesus because we've always heard that this is about Jesus. Or we could read it from Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. When the angels come to the shepherds there in the field, they say, fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy. What joy? The same joy that Isaiah spoke of. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Why does it matter that it's in the city of David? Because he's king and this Savior is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And who is it that they came to find? Jesus. They came to find Jesus. This is the same announcement that Isaiah gave, given concerning now Jesus, the King of Kings. Jesus is the King of Isaiah's prophecy. So Isaiah says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The darkness that was there no longer is there. Why? Because unto us Jesus is born. Unto us the Son of God is given. Why is the end of gloom and anguish? Because the government is upon the shoulders of Jesus. Why is all of the darkness gone? Because the increase of Jesus' government and of Jesus' peace 
There is no end because Jesus will establish it and he will uphold it and there will be justice and righteousness. The very justice and righteousness of God, both now in Jesus reign and forever as he reigns eternally, King of kings and Lord of lords. The reality is that without the coming of Jesus, all of the world is in darkness and anguish. But for Jesus has been born. And it means that the answer to all of that anguish and darkness, all of the spiritual barrenness of our world, is the rule and reign of King Jesus. To put it into a sentence, the only hope, the only hope for a dark world is the rule and reign of Christ. It's the only hope. The hope of our world is not a new president. The hope of our world is not success in our career. The hope of our world is not a loving husband or wife. The hope of our world is not that our children are successful in their families or that America is restored or any of those things. The hope of our world is the rule and reign of King Jesus in all things. And the reason is because we live in an incredibly dark world, don't we? The sad part is, the tragic part is that that you and I have been spending our lives trying to correct the brokenness and the darkness of our world only to find ourselves in greater ruin. This is the story of humanity, isn't it? All of our self-effort is, is faulty. All of our self-effort gets us nowhere. And the reason is because the world is broken and in rebellion against God. And the darkness cannot even be described. Oh, how dark the darkness is only touching the tip of the iceberg. The world is dark, just like in Isaiah's day. Without Jesus is nothing but darkness. And the darkness of our day, just in, as it was in Isaiah's day, is not because we've made a few mistakes or because we've made the wrong choices in life. The darkness of our day is because we have sinfully rebelled against the holy God, the one who created us. That's the brokenness of our world. That's what we need healing from. And I can't correct that. You can't correct that. It's not something I can fix. It's something that can only be rebirthed and reborn. And this is exactly what Jesus has come to do. To be King of kings and Lord of lords as He rightfully is in our hearts. To take the throne of our heart. To be the one who is Lord and Savior and King. And to die the death that we deserve so that it might be possible. So that our sins would be forgiven and so that we could be restored to the one who created us. The one who, in whom we were to find joy and everlasting peace and hope and all of these things. The joy and peace and hope that we forfeited, Jesus comes to restore in the gospel. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. The question then becomes, what kind of king is he? Because we have a lot of kings around the world, a lot of leaders, a lot of people who bear authority. The question is, what kind of king 
is Jesus? What kind of king is it that Isaiah intended to proclaim? Well, in Isaiah's day, kings would be known by their name. Sometimes their birth name, but many times given a royal name. And a name that represented how they ruled, what kind of rule they would have. And, and so this is what Isaiah does for us. He gives us essentially four royal names. Just to give you an example, Saul was the king who was asked for. This is what his name means. David was beloved. Solomon was peace. Jesus is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So this morning, what does it mean for Jesus to be wonderful counselor? Literally, the the phrase is translated a wonder of a counselor, a wonder of a counselor. So two words, two major words in that wonderful or a wonder and a counselor. Wonder is a word that we use often in our day. Wonder is a word here that means unusual or extraordinary or incomprehensible. We use this word in a very watered-down sense to describe Christmas in a lot of ways, don't we? Some of you watch It's a Wonderful Life, right? Or you sing It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. And the word wonderful is generally used to describe emotionally driven kinds of realities. The way that something makes us feel is what makes it wonderful. It's an emotional definition. But the primary issue here is not the way that we feel, but it's who Jesus is. Jesus is Himself wonderful because He is a wonder. No matter how we ultimately feel about Him, Jesus is altogether wondrous. Maybe another way to think about it, which is, again, has so many holes in it, but another way to think about it is the seven wonders of the world, right? When we, when we go to places like the Grand Canyon or we go to things that we see that are just amazing, we would call those wonderful or wondrous, and they invoke in us a sense of wonder to match the wonder that they have. The nearest Hebrew Word here is wonder to describe the idea of supernatural. Something that is utterly unique. Like nothing we have ever seen. So maybe to help, let the Bible kind of explain the idea to us. You are familiar with Psalm 139. How God knows us. He searches us and knows us. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up and discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. We love to talk about this verse and how much God knows us. But listen to how David explains that knowledge or summarizes that knowledge. He says in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot Attain it. For God to be, Jesus to be, wonderful counselor is to describe Him as utterly incomprehensible. 
to the point that it is beyond human understanding. This is what it means for God to be wonderful, for Jesus to be wonderful. But there is a second word there, and it's the word counselor. What does it mean for Jesus to be a counselor? Well, it's someone who advises or, or gives leadership. So you might think of counselor as someone you go to talk to for advice. For some of us, that would conjure up in our minds the idea of a professional who you go and you spill all of your guts to and they kind of give you some advice to help you through whatever it is that you're facing. Some of us might think counselor in terms of legal counsel. Uh, an attorney or a lawyer would be considered a, a counselor or you might have seen this on Legal shows, law and order, those kinds of things. Someone who's called a counselor. This counselor, as it's described in Scripture, is one who is a king who is wise and able to lead well and instruct well. He's full of wisdom. He's not a king that leads foolishly. His leadership is, is good. His law is good. His instruction is good. It's, it's beneficial for the people. He is a trusted leader. For example, 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 34 says of King Solomon that the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. Solomon was one who was full of wisdom and people wanted to hear what he had to say. His leadership, his instruction, his law was good. And yet, Jesus said in Luke 11 that one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is full of wisdom in such a way that he is an utterly unique, wise counselor who is wonderful. His name is Wonderful Counselor. In other words, supernaturally wise and perfectly good in all of His rule and reign. This is who King Jesus is. So in what ways do we see Him as a wonderful Counselor? What does that even look like in the rule and reign of Jesus? Well, there are five ways in this text that I see just in these two words that we see Jesus as a wonderful counselor. Just in the nature of what's being said in the context of these two verses and the greater context of Isaiah chapter 9. How is Jesus a wonderful counselor? Number one, His character is wonderful. His character is wonderful. What does it mean that His character is wonderful. It would mean this, that His nature, who Jesus is, His very essence, His being, everything that Jesus is like, is wonderful, incomprehensible, apart from anything having to do with us. That just Him Himself, with nothing added, nothing taken away, you just take Jesus and you don't compare Him to anything else. Normally when we say something is wonderful, we have some standard of comparison. But the only standard of comparison used to describe Jesus is Jesus, and that's perfectly wonderful and incomprehensible. Do you see it? That's who Jesus is. I don't need any other standard of comparison. 
We see this even in in some of the controversy about how perhaps this passage would be translated. Some would translate this passage wonderful and then counselor as if they're two different titles. And there's some disagreement about how that fits together. But even in that disagreement, we see that we must define the nature of Jesus apart from any other standard of comparison. He has no need of any standard of comparison. He has no need of anything. Jesus stands alone as holy and righteous. And that character, the character of Christ, is incomprehensibly wonderful. It is said in the text that He will establish His reign and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The character of Jesus is good. The standard of goodness is Jesus. You want to know what good is, what righteousness is, what justice is. Jesus always does what is just and what is right because His character is perfect. He is altogether wonderful. And it is impossible to even consider, to conceive of how good He is. What should happen... Talking about a high view of God, what should happen is when we see how good Jesus is, how wonderful Jesus is, it should compel and invoke wonder in us. The same way, similar way, that we would stand at the Grand Canyon and we would go, wow. When we see Jesus, there should just simply be a sense of unspeakable wow. But who Christ is. So he is wonderful in his character. Secondly, his authority is wonderful. His authority is wonderful. So what do I mean by this? His character is his nature apart from us. His authority is his position over us. And how He relates to us. This is where we begin to see that His authority is something that must be given. When Jesus stands in the position of authority, He exerts that authority on our lives, on the lives of His people, on His creation. He is a counselor king. This is not just about Him being someone who gives good advice. Jesus is not just your friend in the sky. (laughs) Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords to whom we owe our allegiance. Do you hear this this morning? He is the authority over our, over our lives. For Him to be counselor is yes for Him to have the kind of wisdom and instruction to give. And we're coming back to that in a second. But we must recognize that this counselor is a king. And we must obey Him. Matthew 28 Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is where he instructs us to make disciples. And we do so by teaching obedience to all the commands of the one who has all authority. In other words, the Christian life, living the Christian life, is not a set of rules that we live by in order to earn favor with God, but it is certainly a set of rules that we live by because of God's favor on us and because we have given our lives to allegiance to the King. He's worthy and His authority is over us and over all things. 
Right here in our passage, it says that he will sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Two incredibly important words. To establish it, meaning he is going to take the position of rule and he's going to uphold it. He's going to keep the position of rule. No one dethrones. You don't impeach Jesus. He's not taken off of the throne at all. That authority is incomprehensible. It's wonderful. It's supernatural. It's unique to Jesus and Jesus alone. No human authority can have that kind of authority. And all other human authority comes from His authority. It is inconceivable. But it should, just like His character, it should compel wonder. He is wonderful and it should compel wonder. Like I should sit back and look at the authority of Jesus and go, wow, that's awesome. Jesus is in charge. Too much of our lives is spent resisting and hating the authority of God. But for the person who comes to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, it is a sweet thing for Jesus to rule and reign in our lives. So much more to be said there. Number three, His wisdom is wonderful. His wisdom is wonderful. He's a counselor. He he has wisdom. And not just any wisdom, He's got great wisdom. And not just great wisdom, he's got greater wisdom than the greatest wisdom or the wisest man that ever lived. Presumably, Solomon. In other words, his wisdom is infinite. There is no limit to the wisdom of Christ. Counsel implies that he is a well of wisdom and he continues to draw from that well immeasurably deep. The, the wisdom that is his that no one gave him. He is infinitely wise. This means, just as we read a few moments ago in Psalm 139, that He knows everything about us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. He knows the choices that we've made and the sinfulness of our hearts. He knows all of the ways that we were, that we would be prone to turn and wander away from Him were it not His grace. He knows the things that we're afraid of that bring us worry and anxiety. Jesus knows everything about us. And not only that, to make it so much better, He knows everything about everyone else and everything there is to know about His world because He Declared the end from the beginning. His wisdom has no limits. He's a well to be drawn from. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. It's inconceivable. I can't imagine how much wisdom God has. Just when I thought I discovered something new, Jesus already knew it. <laughs> it's amazing. How many new discoveries we're making as human beings every day that God already knew from the beginning. He's not surprised ever. He always knows. And He not only knows that, but He knows what is best. This wondrous, wonderful thing about God should 
inspire, invoke wonder from my heart. Should not make me angry that God does what He does in His perfect wisdom without my full understanding because I believe and trust that He's good, that He's a King, and that He's sovereign over all. Fourth, His Word is wonderful. His Word is wonderful. So when we think about Him being a counselor, we must think about the counsel that He gives. His counsel is wonderful. His, his Word to us. By, the Bible even calls itself the counsel of God. So Psalm 33 and verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. That's the counsel of the world. And He, he contrasts that with He goes on to say he frustrates the plans of the peoples, but he contrasts it in verse 11 with the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Or right here in the book that we're studying, Isaiah 46, verse 9, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My Counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. His word is wonderful. The psalmist, whenever he was describing the word of God in Psalm 119, presumably, probably Solomon and all of his wisdom is describing this. He says, your word is better than rubies and diamonds. Can I ask you, do you love the counsel of God more than you love anything else? Do you love His Word so much so that you're willing to forfeit time and money and possessions in order to simply be in His Word? Is it it a treasure trove for you? His Word is wonderful. It's inconceivable. Every time I come to His Word and it shows me who I am and reminds me of who God is, I'm blown away by the Word of God. And it should Invoke wonder from our hearts, an emotive response. It in itself being full of wonder and causing wonder in the human heart. So one final one here, and that is his reign is wonderful. If he is a wonderful counselor in all of his wisdom and all of his sovereignty and all of his providence, he's not only ruling in the sense that He has absolute authority over all things. He's reigning. He's actively involved in carrying out His rule. This is a description of how He leads us. His counsel is good. He's leading us according to the counsel of His will. He's good and He's wise and He's shepherding His people. Listen to what Psalm 23 says as we often read this at funerals, but just think in terms of how God leads you every day. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And listen to what it says. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and you just get this image of a shepherd 
leading his people well. He's reigning over our lives and he's leading us, directing us, shepherding us in paths of righteousness and and into eternal rest. We have a perfect shepherd. Or Proverbs chapter 3 that says that we should trust in the Lord with all our, all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct or lead our paths. It is inconceivable when you think about it, isn't it? Even if you were to just say that one-third of the world is Christian, and I think that's a pretty liberal estimate, honestly. But if you just say that one-third of the world is Christian, and you just apply this one passage to the people of God, that means that, that in, in some sense God is leading today 2.5 billion people. All at the same time. And that's just in this moment. Add generation upon generation of people and how God has been leading His people from the beginning. And I love what Scripture promises. That the ones that Jesus leads, ultimately God will never snatch us from, or no one will ever snatch us from Jesus' hands. And His leadership will not fail. He is faultless. He's able to present us faultless before His throne with exceedingly great joy. We know that Jesus will lead us all the way to the end. He will not fail in leading us home. It's inconceivable. And it should cause awe and wonder in our hearts. So this is the description of Jesus' rule and reign over His people as wonderful counselor. It's not the only description of Jesus' rule and reign. Jesus leads us, those who have trusted in Christ, as wonderful counselor. This is how He rules us. But all of those who would say no, like the people who are here in Isaiah's, under Isaiah's voice, those who would rebel against Him, are treated as His enemies. And the Bible even describes in Psalms Him ruling with a rod of iron. You need to know this morning that there is a choice to be made. And the choice is either we, we come into the kingdom through Christ, we come into the kingdom and we experience the glory and the goodness of this King. Or we remain outside of the kingdom, we continue to rebel against God, and we will experience His rod of iron. Either way, Jesus wins. My earnest plea before you this morning is that you would trust in Christ before you're standing before that rod. That you would not... Mock Him as the King of kings on the cross, but that you would submit to Him as the King of kings who died for you, who rose again, and who sits on the throne of glory right now and calls you to obey Him, to repent of your sins and to believe the Gospel and to be saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed, our invitation this morning is very simple. It is to trust in Christ more 
today than you did yesterday. A renewed trust in Him. Some of you are Christians in this room and you just simply need to be reminded that Jesus is King and He's ruling and He's reigning and His ways are perfect. You are no longer in darkness because Jesus has called you out of the darkness into light and the world of darkness around you. Jesus is in control of that. So just trust Him today. Don't try to make your own way. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to come up with a different route. Trust in Jesus with all of your heart. Today, would you trust in Christ? Some of you in this room, the trust part has worked itself out in disobedience. You don't trust Him, so you don't obey Him. There are certain areas of your life today, if you were to be honest before God or not, Obedient to Him right now. And today you need to bow the knee before King Jesus and submit to His authority. His authority is good. It's wonderful. Rebellion against Him is is terrible. It brings pain and agony and darkness. Would you submit to His authority today? For some of you, that's today's the very first time. Can I plead with you in a few moments that you step out of your seat and you walk down this aisle and today you say, I want to be I want to be saved. I want to know King Jesus. I want to submit my life to him today as Savior and Lord. Would you come in just a few moments when we stand? This altar is going to be open. Maybe some here praying, but you come right from where you are today. Pastor, will you help me? I, I, I need to follow Jesus. I'll help you today. And some of you, some of you need to give yourself to the work of the kingdom with all of your heart. You've lost passion. You've lost zeal. You're discouraged. You're downtrodden. And you've forgotten who it is that you serve. Serve Him today with all of your heart and all of your might to His glory and His honor. Would you stand with me? Father, we pray in this room right now that you would remind us of who King Jesus is and that with all of our hearts we would turn to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.